Okay, so in the beginning, love. If you remember last week, uh, the top part of that illustration, I, I sketched in a throne. Well, we're going to look at it a little differently today because it was one of the things the Lord began to work through things with me on. So in the beginning, thinking about Genesis, thinking about John, where those phrases are used. So here's in the beginning. And we're starting from nothing except God. Now, I don't know that God looks like that. I don't... (laughs) You need some kind of symbol, you know what I mean? Uh, the little deal that I, I did, and I'll show you that uh, again at the end, but I, I did the, the rainbow over the throne and all this kind of stuff, but the Lord, the Lord started speaking to me, and He said, you probably don't want to start thinking about me on the throne, because that's not where I started. Now, I, I'm not saying that God isn't on the throne. There's two or three scriptures of that way. Honestly, in the Old Testament, thrones were kind of problematic, actually. Because the majority of them were, the first mention of a throne was when, uh, when the, the <laughs> Lord was warning Israel through the prophets that they were going to um, ask for a king for themselves. There is a place where where God talks about His throne. There's instances where we get glimpses of Him sitting on the throne, uh, dealing with with uh, other heavenly beings and creatures and so on. But I think our our quintessential sort of image of the throne of God as the centerpiece of heaven is a non-relational kind of thing we inherit from monarchy in this world. And it's a way for us to picture authority outside of relationship. And so the Lord was pretty specific about it. So what do we call this? Okay, In the beginning when there's nothing, well, the Bible uses the word El, Eloah, which is a singular version of Elohim. Elohim is the one that God has talked about when in the beginning God. El Shaddai. El Shaddai, I think, is the the nurturing one, the life-giving one, the many-breasted one, if I understand the meanings that are there. El Olam is used in the, uh, of, of this. Even this before creation. This one, uh, El Olam means uh, God of eternity. God of eternity, El Olam. And then, of course, there's Jehovah. And Jehovah plus all those names, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Thidkanu, Jehovah Jireh. Yeah. So th- th- those are all, and, 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 and I remember several times being reminded through various teachers that one of the problems when we think about God and we think about who God is and we talk about who God is, it'll really show up with the, the various names of God that are associated with Jehovah because we have a tendency to say uh, God God the provider uh, uh, as Jehovah Rajah or whatever. But no, it, it, it's, it's my, it's a personal thing the way those names work. They're applied to us, that we relate to God personally. And that's something else that's going on. So then there's the the, the Yahweh, the sort of sacred name of God in Israel and to the world. And then there's the lordship aspects of Adon and Adonai. Okay, but there's another couple names. And so, anybody here read Hebrew enough to know what those are? Okay. You do? 
Oh, okay. So the one in the top middle is Ab. Ab. It's the Hebrew precursor to to the uh, Abba, which is an Aramaic word. Uh, the one on the left is Yeshua. And the one on right, which is really short for what it sounds like, but is Ruach. Unless I've completely butchered the Hebrew letters, which I don't think I did. So Yeshua is the one there, and Yeshua is salvation. Every time it's been, every time salvation is in your Old Testament, virtually every time, saved your salvation, it's a version of Yah Yeshua. And then Ruach is breath or spirit, but this isn't the only place that we get revelation about the God who is in the beginning. We also get that revelation coming out of the New Testament. And so, we have Logos and Theos and Numa. Theos is on the bottom. It's sort of the correspondent one to L. Logos is the word, as you know. All right, so this is what the Lord was starting to show me, that these are better ways to think about Him, relational ways, not just the New Testament result, but all of these. So there's God the Father, there's the Spirit of, there's the Logos, the Word, and then, of course, there's Jesus. Right? Also, there's the Savior. There's the Messiah. There's the Son of God and the Son of Man. There's the Creator. Remember in John, uh, nothing was made without Him, not a single thing. Everything was made by Him. In Hebrews, uh, it says that uh, in these last days, God spoken to us by His Son, through whom He made the cosmos. So Creator, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' announcement name during His birth. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's a prophetic name. It's a name that spills out into prophecy. And then the firstborn, or the risen one. So, rather than just thinking about God as the Creator in the beginning, rather than just thinking Him about, uh, about some ruling monarch in the beginning, I felt like the Lord was trying to get us to think about these sorts of things. But there's one more revelation that's hinted at in several places in the Old Testament, but expressly said in the New, and we've talked about it here a lot. And it's this one. The Bible says that God is spirit. God is fire. God is light. And two times it says God is love. So, what the Lord was like coaching me to do, to make this thing the way, this, the simple version of it that He wants, <laughs> instead of the complicated one that I have a tendency to do. He said, I want you to realize that this is where it all starts. I am where it all starts. Me as spirit, me as fire, me as light, me most especially as love. So that's why the, the question, you know, love came down, or the little deal I put out there in the hall, what's love got to do with it? Well, love has everything to do with it. Now, the significance of this is because we don't, as we're struggling to try to understand the implications of new creation, the way like N.T. Wright's been talking about it, and we've been listening to me talk about him talking about it, or just the complexities of life, we have a tendency to lose touch with the fact that everything 
Everything comes from that. There's nothing that we can understand about who God is or what He has done that does not flow out of that aspect of who He is, love. And I know uh, the thing I put in the little text, has anybody ever uh, accused you of making too big a deal about love? Or, well, yeah, God's love, but He's other things too. Yes, there's no doubt about that. But in all the areas of revelation about redemption, in all of the relational areas that you and I have to interact with God, love is the centerpiece of that. It is the motive. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And we'll get into a couple of those other things. But the motive behind who God is and what He did, and that's also the motive behind creation. So, in the beginning, God who is love created the heavens and the earth. And so this was a part of the illustration last week, but I changed it a little bit because I want us to see that when God made the heavens and the earth, He made them as a unit. And we have a tendency, because of dualism in our thinking, to separate those things. And then we, that puts us in a position that maybe we view creation as a nice integrated pattern, but the minute that we fell... We start seeing heaven out there, God up there, us down here, and we see a gap between us. And that's not, not what it did. But, but so the Creator, whether you want to assign the Creator to Elohim, which would be perfectly legitimate to do in the Scripture, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, or whether you want to assign the creation of these worlds to the Son, which would be perfectly legitimate according to Hebrews chapter 1, the point of the creation was love. And the interaction was designed around love. The desire and the motive in the heart of God was love. So, God created people. And what did He declare after He made people and finished up creation? Very good. He had been saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. Now it's very good. So this picture, this relational picture, not of God enthroned in the distant heavens, but God walking in the garden, interfacing, interacting, for we don't know how long. Adam and Eve there, Adam, uh, you know, commissioned to rule and rain. There's a lot of other illustration factors that could be in there that would be amazing. But uh, more than anything else, these good people are that because they are the object of the love of Yahweh. They are the object of the creative love of Yahweh. Now, I could have stuck a couple trees there and some other chaotic illustrations. You know what happened, right? A darkness settled in. And it obscured the goodness. It didn't change it. There's no place. There's no place that you can go to find the commission that God made and gave, or the announcement of their goodness. Even if you go all the way up to where, before the flood, where the thoughts and intents of people's hearts are evil, 
even <clears throat> that which caused angst, you know, a, a, a sadness, a repentant kind of thing in the heart of God. He never took away that commission. He never pronounced us not good. He never did. So, now we know. Okay, and so last week, for those of you who weren't here, I created this illustration, and this is just the central first third of it. But down here on earth, which is now blanketed in darkness, let's say, okay, God did something. He sent His Son, right? All right. So, it's the same God. It's the God that is most characterized by being spirit and fire and light and love. And I've grown up my whole life in Christianity thinking of the redemptive work of Jesus as something other than God, even though I knew, you know, I, I understood Trinity and I believe in it. But in the, in the practical working of it, I never realized that the thing that in the beginning had in common with the cross is the absolute nature of God is love. Love came down. Love came down. And if we lose sight of that, because, because we're preoccupied with the darkness, and that darkness being pushed back, and I wish I had a way to illustrate it so that that was beginning to, you know, light up. But the reason I have wires all hooked up is that I overdid the PowerPoint and the poor Promethean board wouldn't handle it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll try to warn you, Stuart. But this is the, this is the, uh, the, the centerpiece, the vertical picture of heaven and earth being created. Yes, men fell, darkness came, but it's just love. It's just the nature of God redeeming us. And, and when we start talking about new creation, we start talking about image bearing and all this kind of stuff. It's easy to lose sight of that. So this and this is the absolute essence of what we live for as Christians. This is what redeems us. This is what released forgiveness. This is God's dealing with the fall. This is God's dealing with us. This is what's going to solve our election problems. This is what's going to solve our evangelism needs. This is what's going to solve our personal wholeness and healing issues. And I'm not saying there's not other stuff, but have any of you ever struggled with losing touch with the love of God in the, in the pressure of the ministry of God, the seriousness of God? I have. I have. And I've also, I've also come under the accusation of, well, you're just being a Pollyanna, you know? No, I'm telling you, the God isn't, the throne part isn't the main part. The throne part is a part added. 
Now, God is the king. He is the ancient of days. He does sit on a throne. Uh, there is a beautiful thing. I'm not saying that's not there. There's a place for it in our, in our illustration of this new creation image-bearing reality. But this is the part we've got to keep in mind. And there's examples right in here. I mean, Richard, that's the part, both directions of that, God and you, that changed your life. I remember hearing the story of this old professor of mine in, in Bible college. His name was Cope Budge. I met him after for a while. He uh, he had a friend who was another professor. The guy was an atheist, and uh, he loved him, and they were good friends, and they used to meet every now and then. So they were at a coffee shop, um, actually where uh, Dr. Budge and I were meeting. He was just telling me the story, and he said, yeah, it was an amazing time. He said, I've had years of frustration trying to share the gospel with him. And I would, I would always, you know, and, and Cope Budge was a really smart guy and really, really good with the Bible, good with the Lord. But uh, he said, I was just sitting there, and every time I, had a, uh, I told him something, he had a response, he had an answer, he had a rebuttal. And he said, finally, I'm just sitting there at the table, and I just put my head in my hands, and I put down, and I said, look, I, all I know is this. I know that God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He rose again, and he wants you as his child. And he said it got really quiet. And I looked up, and tears were running down the guy's face. That was the message after all the other arguments, after years of debate. Now back to this, this arrangement right here. Now, what I want us to walk away from this, because it's not going to be a super complicated message. I want us to walk away from the fact that when we read about love, relative to our redemption, relative to the gospel, relative to the purposes of God, uh, you said something about uh, referring to the Father on the throne, and that that sparked an, uh, a memory of of how we've talked about the Father specifically, not so much Jesus, but phrases like you know we try to stir up our own faith, and we say God is still on the throne, or or we use that that terminology of God being on the throne, and uh, it's almost seeming, in my experience, it's almost more of a He's up there, I'm down here, and there's not an intertwining together. It's it's a separation thing. But uh wanted to wanted to see what you and everybody else thought. Uh, why do we tend to do that to the Father? Why do we why is that our first thing that we we reference him being on the throne? It's not that it's false, but but why do we do that? So I don't know. Uh I I think I think we may we may have a just a, 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 a picture of God enthroned in the heavens. That's one thing. You know, the steps going up and that and all that. Uh, I, I, like I say, I don't think we're, I, I agree with you, I don't think we're wrong in thinking about it. It talks about, and I saw a throne, see a glass, and all this kind of stuff. But I think we are more, it's more comfortable envisioning him off at a distance like that and it's a way of honoring when in fact the first mention of this interaction going awry after the fall was somehow him walking in the garden Adam where are you um, there does seem to be an intermediate period of time that's associated with ruling and reigning uh, that thrones uh, have an, an image 
But I don't know. I'm open to other thoughts. Greg? Um, he, his question kind of spun off, and it, it really kind of convicted me. Um, there's times when I don't feel like loving someone. To me, love is more accountable to... Love is a thing that God does through us, for us and to us, but mm-hmm. also through us. Well, when I think of a king on a throne, he kind of handles everything. And I like that. I don't want to do anything. I want God to do it. I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it through me because then I might have to love someone I don't like so much. Or, and so a lot of this, to me, I feel like love pushes us out of our comfort zone to love someone. Um, really... I don't really want to do that. Um, and um, there's this really cool trailer I've been watching over and over again about this new movie called Jesus Revolution. Um, it's a true story of Greg Laurie and Harvest Church down in Riverside. Mm-hmm. A bunch of hippies. No church wants them. They found Jesus out in, in wherever. It's kind of like Burning Man. Um, and uh, Kelsey Grammer's in it. It's really neat. The movie trailer's on YouTube. And um, it... He did not want to love these. He doesn't like hippies. This this pastor, he doesn't like those people. And one of them shows up at his house and wants to talk to him. And all of a sudden, they realize they love each other. They're brothers in Christ. And he dares to open his door. And a great, the Jesus movement exploded right there. Uh, as soon as love entered the picture, that pastor had him on the throne the whole time. And his pa- this pastor had almost nobody in his church. And all of a sudden, the building wasn't big enough. And mm-hmm. that's what the movie's about, is this giant revival that happened. Um but also, your conversation, what was that professor's name? Uh, Colt Budge. Colt Budge? Mm-hmm. Um, Kathy Lee Gifford was, uh, she's a Christian, she's in show business and things, and she tries to witness to people in show business, and she was being interviewed on the radio. I was driving downtown Colorado Springs listening, and I was stunned at what she said. She goes, I really do try to witness to these people, I'm not just some, you know, cross on my neck. I really want them to know Christ. Mm-hmm. And I was witnessing to Ricky Gervais, who I've known for years. He, he's a good friend of mine. And he, you know, he always, look, I know Jesus is your guy. He's not really my guy. I get it. And Kathy said, that's fine. But I, she said this, I just want you to know I love you. It froze him. Hmm. This is one of the hardest, most callous comedians out. This guy's rough. And it froze him, and he goes, of all of my friends who are Christians, none of them have ever told me they love me. And it got to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, there's something of a weapon-like penetrating, a spiritual warfare penetration that happens when love enters the picture. The throne is distant. It's separate. And a lost person can easily go, oh, throne. I'm, I'm not kingdom stuff. Mm-hmm. But if someone stands in front of them and says, I love you, it can be very disarming. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Ronnie? Yeah. Since Jeremy asked what other people thought, I think maybe it has to do with something about the sovereignty of God. Basically saying God's on the throne, he's in charge, sovereign. And we're and, trying to lift him up, we're trying to keep yeah. an image of him up high. And we've talked a little bit about sovereignty, but there, it may be a misunderstanding of what sovereign <laughs> means. But that could be the connection there on the throne, sovereign in charge. Yeah, and, and those, aren't, those aren't false concepts. Let me back up just a little bit. So what I was trying to do, playing with this little animation thing, is to keep in mind that love came down. God came to us with love. We love because he first loved us. 
Love is not, it's not a, a, an original response on our part. It's not a duty that we've been settled with. <clears throat> God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so the world might be saved. Now, I don't want you to think that I don't think that there's judgment-related issues and stuff in here. I'll read the whole section because I didn't have enough room. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Now, in the New American Standard, those are both capitalized. God is light, says in 1 John, and in Him is no darkness at all. The thing that came to dispel that darkness was light. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. It enlightens the heart of men. This is a, this is a love-motivated invasion from God into the earth. And it's okay for us to think of it that way. So this is judgment that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Ephesians speaks to the beginning of this, and then I've got another verse here that speaks to the a little bit later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. All the thoughts about discipleship, transformation, being born again, all of that stuff, hey Dave, it's all because of love. And it's all been decided before the fact. So we're not on the wrong track speaking about love. And there's a little bit more here down past verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Love is His whole motive. Love is the whole thing. Here it is in 1 John. Let me start. I'm going to go ahead and read the longer section in 1 John. So before we get to this part, it starts in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Now think about that passage. To not love and to not love your brother is to not know God. To love is to know God. This, this invasion of love, this descent of love, this focal point of creation and the focal point of redemption being exactly the same thing is to know God to be with us. And yes, when we put distance in there, Jeremy, we just lose something. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God, uh, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Therefore, whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And then we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. How many times have you been put in a position to try to help some brother or sister who feels like they're lost, or feels like they've stumbled, or they've sinned, they've fallen, they've pulled away? This is an issue of love. This union, this abiding, this togetherness, love is at the root of it. And so any emphasis that we can make in our own personal life, any degree of this is the biggest issue there is. We're right. We're not wrong. You can't stack up a bunch of other moral conditions, try to measure those, and escape the fact that love is what created the universe and what redeems the universe and where we're going. It's just really, really important. And I know it's like super basic, but it's so darn easy to forget. We love because He first loved us. So I want you to have permission to let love be as big a deal as it can be with you. Now, I have a tendency to make things complicated, but I don't think I do that as much as Paul. <laughs> and I say that with the highest respect, <laughs> because some of the... the sentence structure and the threads that he takes are crazy, but look at this. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Love from things that elsewhere in Paul's teaching and gospel. I mean, the whole reason Jesus died was so that we would have a good conscience, right? It says in Hebrews. Sincere faith it's by grace that we stand in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The pathway to faith is love. I never had anybody teach me that when I was young. It was more the other way. It was like, if you have faith, then, then you'll be able to love. I don't know why we think that way. If we love, we will find our way to faith. Because we will be reacting out of that which God has already done for us. John 13, 34. Do you see how it's okay to give this a lot of weight? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Have any of you ever dealt with anybody, or have you been one of those people that somebody was dealing with, trying to figure out what God's mission in life was for you, His calling, His purpose? What has God asked of me? What does He expect of me? What does He want of me? How about that? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Before I start finishing the other three parts of the illustration out in the upcoming weeks, I want to get the foundation right. How about this one? Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I like speaking in tongues. 
I want all of them to do it. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. He goes on and finishes up and says, you know, but these three remain, faith and love, and the greatest of these is love. Not greatest. This, see, I've always thought of love, not always, for many years. I thought of love as, as the greatest in the sense that it's uh, superior among a bunch of other equals. But now I, I, I realize love is the essence of why God created us. And love is the core that he redeemed us with. And love is the center of the ministry that we are redeemed to portray. We cannot overemphasize love. So anyway, there's lots of other scriptures we can look at. The thing is, we blow over them because it's such a familiar topic and a familiar word. And I just want us to explore it. Yes, Ronnie. At the beginning of tonight's thing, you said you had something up there. It said, "In the beginning, love." Mm-hmm. And I've been stewing on that. Instead of saying, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth," I could say, "In the beginning, love created the heavens and the earth." I think you could, without doing a great violation. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. God is love. Love. Mm-hmm. I think so. Any other thoughts? Questions? Rebuttals? Dan. Yes. I really like what both Greg and Jeremy said. I think if you start with the premise with God on the throne, then it makes the other things subordinate to that in the sense that love is a projection of that. Um, It also puts all the onus of responsibility on him in terms of he's going to do all the work. And then sovereignty has to do with, okay, I'm just waiting on God to do the stuff that I, whatever needs to be done. If you come from a position of love first, understand the love relationship with him. Then you realize he loves us so that the verse you read in John there, so that we can love other people. So that, which is what Greg was talking about. So the entire premise of God's love is that it spreads and continues. And so then we can be confident in the sovereignty and position of God that he will enable us, empower us, and whatever to continue to do all those things. But I think that's if you're love-centric, that gives you more of that heart that's supported by the sovereignty other rather than the sovereignty is kind of God far away and him doing stuff, and I kind of wait around for him to do his thing always. This would go back for you, Jeremy, or anybody here. Don't you think that that's one of the reasons that 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 uh, throne image being the foundational image rather than a love image, that we are <clears throat> we're prone to fear judgment or to emphasize judgment in a way that doesn't necessarily seem to be fully emphasized? Because the throne is like a picture of judgment. But interestingly, as I was looking up thrones to find out when it was finally mentioned, one of the preeminent mentions of throne in the New Testament is there after the declaration of the New Covenant when it or in, in the Hebrews in, in process of leading up to that declaration of the New Covenant where it says so, so then uh, come 
before the throne of grace. And I know I've worked as a pastor for a long time trying to get people to think of the first image related to a throne as being grace and not judgment. So, I think that... Mm-hmm. Grace. Yeah, and I think if you look at Revelation, I mean, the image that's... Con- I mean, yeah, there's a judgment verse for sure, but the image is the crowds and the many, many, many coming to worship him and praise him. So it's like, well, how did they get there? Because love was communicated so that they would be there in that position. It's about everything is bringing us toward God, I guess. And that's kind of the final climax is, okay, we're all there together with him in a final place. And I'm not, I'm not trying to down talk love, but I, I just want us to realize that we're on really solid biblical and theological ground if we say the foundation, the beginning, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end of all of this is love. It really is love. Richard? Thanks, Dan. Uh, years ago, I used to um, come at it as just trying to get people to come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And once God came down and just told me he loved me, I've always, it's always been, it's always just changed around a different way of God loves you and Jesus is a part of that. But it's, there's, there's so, to me, there's such an impact of the Father's love, mm-hmm. the God of the universe, the one that created everything mm-hmm. that loves you. <laughs> I mean, that, that, to me, that's a big impact. Yeah. Okay. So how about contrast today? There we go. Um, how about the impact of love on identity versus the impact of either the product of a sovereign act of God? You know, in other words, of course, I'm a, I'm a servant of God or the sovereign act, or I'm, a, I'm an object of judgment. So, you know, I'm standing there with a thing on it with numbers across my chest, or I'm a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, when you talk to people about that, they're stunned. They don't. They don't know what to do with that. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, my tenants go, "Oh, wow! I never, I never looked at it that way." Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. This is part of the power of love that gets overlooked when we, when we let it, you know, step and compete. Anybody else? What I want to get. What, what I want to have you do is I want you to have permission to let love rise to a a higher level of prominence in your thinking about the image that you bear, about the reflection of that image to the world, about the worship that you offer. Uh, and I, I want, I, I think there's room for us to think more uh, about the power of love to transform and the power of love to change. And I think that if we if we can if we love you know like in First John it says that if you love God abides in you and you abide in God this idea of not feeling isolated in the midst of a world that is just going ape crazy I think love is is is, is better than building walls I think it's better than a, a bulwark it's a power it's a strength. And it's it's a, an ever renewed reality because he loves us.
And he is constantly loving us. He is love. So anyway, we're going to bring the other aspects of this illustration in. And just to show you that I do have a... See, I do have a throne illustration. <laughs> There's a place for it. We'll get to it. But the issue is that. The issue is love. So I just wanted to... Anyway, I think that there's a fruit. So last week, uh, Becky asked me a wonderful question. She said, so what? What's the point of looking at these things? The reason we're going to cover this in a couple more weeks, we're going to see. I'm going to suggest to you that two of the most important scriptures about how to actually be an image bearer and live in the world and reflect and be a light in the darkness is the one that said, and we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. From that passage of Scripture in the fourth chapter of 1 John, it moves into talking about having confidence in the day of judgment because fear involves love. Imperfect love casts out fear. And then the other is I want us to look at what is the present day motive of God. And what does love say about that? What is God trying to do in the world right now? And it's, it's uh, not, I don't think, it's follow an eschatological map that was sketched out in the 70s. <laughs> He's got a bigger plan, bigger fish to fry, which could sound kind of intimidating if you were a fish, I guess. Anyway, Father, I, uh, I get to a point like this in a message with folks, and I know it's... Um, there's a temptation to try to just do something more to to make it a big deal. But I repent of that and I resist that. Because it's a big deal in a negative way that we have looked to other things than your love to be the foundation and the explaining reality of both your love for us, your dealings towards us, our life and you and the world around us. So we submit to what Paul said, that the hope of our instruction is love. Is love from a sincere heart, pure heart, and from faith. Cause us to meditate on the greatness of your love. And let us join with the apostle as he prayed, that the eyes of our heart would be open so that we could know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.